0: Welcome to the Pod of Skeptics, your healthcare technology podcast for the technical crowd. No fluff, no sale pictures, just important technical ideas described well. And here's your host, Glenn Wright-Colomby.
1: Hey folks, welcome back to the show. We've had some requests to have more episodes covering data science for devices and pharma, which sounded really fun, and I thought, well, who better to have as guests than two people organize a conference on just that topic? Leveraging data for drug and device development. So I've invited Gajan and Bot and Ching Ping Sui to discuss some of the major themes in this area. We'll be following up with two more episodes, one with Lisa LeVange at UNC, our 2018 ASA president and former director of biostatistics at the FDA CEDAR, and another episode with Rob Scott, Chief Medical Officer at AbbVie. So if you'd like to be notified when those episodes come out, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And now on to the overview of leveraging data for device and drug development. So, Gajanan, let's start with you, who you are, and what you do in biopharma.
2: Hey, hi, Glenn. This is Gajanan Bhatt. I'm a biostatistician, and I'm currently in a pharmaceutical company heading up clinical science and biometrics functions. And I'm also the chair of the 2020 Orange County Biostatistics Symposium. So, you know, I've been in the industry for more than 20 years, and in drug, device, or diagnostic imaging development. And I was president of the Orange County Long Beach Chapter of ASA for two years and we are organizing this symposium and we have started last year.
1: Great. And can you tell us a little bit more specifically about the research areas that you work in in drug and device development?
2: Yeah, sure. I started out my career after my PhD in pharmaceutical area, mostly in clinical trials. So over time, I worked on many different drug development, clinical trials, both in drugs, device areas. So my main interest is in uh, design of the clinical trials and the clinical trial conduct and regulatory submissions.
1: And Ping, could you please introduce yourself as well? Uh,
3: hello, everyone. My name is Ping Tui. I'm currently a professor and the chair of the Department of Statistics at University of California, Riverside. I joined my department in 2002 after receiving my PhD in biostatistics from UCLA, and I became the department chair in 2015. My research program is primarily in three areas, multiple testing, biomarker detection, and system biology. My research projects in this areas are all largely motivated by my collaboration with scientists in genetics, plant pathology, cell biology, chemistry, entomology, and biomedical science at UCR. I'm very passionate about bringing people from diverse fields to promote multidisciplinary research and education. Since 2014, I have been serving as a board member for Multiple Comparison Procedures Society and I organized the 10th and 11th International Conference on Multiple Comparison Procedures. These conferences facilitated an open dialogue among academia, industry, and regulatory agencies and have been very successful. So this wonderful experience also motivated me to connect with our local ASA chapter to promote and organize similar conference locally. So I'm very much looking forward to the 2020 Orange County Biostatistics Symposium.
1: So today's topic is the leveraging of data for drug and device development. Now, of course, data has been used in drug and device development for a very long time. What are some of the major themes that are most important today that we need people to be discussing and considering? What are the major themes of data for drug and device development?
2: You know, we are in a world of changes and evolution in clinical trial and drug development. In uh, this decade, especially, there are a lot of research and development, new drugs are coming into the market, especially in oncology, in uh, in rare disease development and personalized medicine or precision medicine all those things. So the blockbuster drug development era was over a long time ago. Here we are focusing on rare diseases, ultra-rare diseases to develop a drug in that area. So to take that into consideration, we have to kind of reinvent ourselves or evolve ourselves in terms of how to really address those developments from statistical and clinical design methodologies That's what we are trying to tackle, and we're trying to focus in that aspects of this clinical development, and I hope this symposium is one of the areas where we can focus on, and that's what we are hoping to do.
1: So just to pick up on one of the conference themes, it looks like master protocols are a subject that are showing up in several of the discussions, and the symposium is very fortunate to have Lisa LaVange there to discuss master protocols. And the FDA has recently, in the last several years, given guidance on master protocols, in particular, I believe, for oncology and biologics. Now, could you tell the audience what are master protocols and what are some of the main data challenges around master protocols that are still being dealt with and developed?
2: Yeah, sure. This is more of a new regulatory initiative, I would say, that FDA has worked on and issued a guidance on master protocol. What that means is in this new drug development clinical trials, it is you have to be more flexible. It's not always like phase one to phase three in a stepwise or in a sequential process. So there are a lot of times that you have to kind of be flexible in clinical trial design, where you are bridging between these phases, and also a lot of times you have a drug that you want to really study that or evaluate that drug's efficacy or you know safety in multiple patient population. So uh, there are many ways of doing that. You know this master protocol approach or initiative really gives some ideas and guidance from regulatory perspective as well as from clinical perspective, how to design these studies and how best to or how efficiently you can evaluate a drug in a seamless manner, in a time-efficient manner. Uh, that's what this is mostly about. And, you know, there are many different approaches. There are the designs like the umbrella trials, or seamless design trials, or basket protocol. Those are the many different aspects where you can study one drug in multiple population or multiple drugs in one disease indication. So this is an approach that's been talked about, as you said, you know, recently a lot. And there is a lot of discussion, both in regulatory agencies as well as in industry. And this gives really a good path for drug-developing companies in expediting their drug development. And I'm working in a company, Spectrum Pharmaceuticals, where we are implementing that in order to bring our, really the targeted therapy on a more of an expedited way to the regulatory
1: process. So improving clinical trials is clearly a large theme in this conference, whether it's helping expedite clinical trials or making them more economically efficient or protecting the scientific validity of a clinical trial. And what I found really impressive is that for a local ASA chapter, your symposium has internationally respected speakers on these various issues. So I thought maybe now would be a good time to introduce some of the keynote speakers who will be there at the symposium and which themes of drug development and device development they're going to be addressing.
2: Sure. That's great, Glenn. And we are excited to have some of the leading experts in both statistics clinical as well as in regulatory aspects from all over the country. And in our keynote session, we have speakers from FTA industry as well as in academics. Lisa who was the former FTA director of biostatistics, and now she's in academics, but she was also the president of the ASA. And we are glad to have her on our roster, speaking as a keynote speaker. We also have Rob Scott. He is the chief medical officer from AbbVie, and he's an MD. And we are bringing the clinical aspects into this discussion. And thirdly, we have Susan Jerian. She was an ex fda medical reviewer, and she's a consultant, very high-level consultant, regulatory expert. And she also worked in the industry in the past. So it's good to have her bring the regulatory perspective to the discussion. And lastly, we have Dan Gillen, who is the head of biostatistics in University of California, Irvine. And he's a Bayesian and adaptive design expert. And this is a good way to bring all of them together to really talk about how to bring both the data and methodology into the discussion of clinical development, and especially in some of the areas that we talked about, how to really evaluate a drug given the constraints that you have, you know, small population, orphan population, rare diseases, or ultra-rare disease areas. So we are excited to have these speakers at our symposium. And part of a keynote session, we also have a panel discussion where it gives a chance to have a discussion among themselves as well as to really get questions and feedback from the audience.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. One thing that I've noticed across many of our speakers is regardless of whether they are a clinician or an entrepreneur, as in like a CEO or a data scientist, and also generally regardless of which exact clinical area they work on, they're commonly united by very similar concerns and challenges. I'm curious, what are the types of the common concerns and challenges that you think are going to be discussed on the roundtable? Like, well, what are the specific issues that when you have someone like Lisa LaVange or Rob Scott or uh, Susan Jerrion or Dan Gillen all in the same room, What do you think sort of those common questions are going to be?
2: I think that the common questions are primarily driven by the challenges in drug development in this era. So Lisa being at FDA before, I'm sure she gets that all the time from the industry sponsors when they're trying to get a drug developed. So uh, I think that's a good perspective to have. And bringing industry experts like Rob Scott, I think that is a good forum to have that kind of exchange because he's coming from a big company where they have developed a lot of different drugs in different therapeutic areas.
1: Just yeah. very quickly on the Rob Scott issue, because obviously Rob Scott's an MD, uh, you know, yes. he, he's, he's a clinician. What, what have been some of the main benefits of bringing clinicians on board? From your own experience, where, where have clinicians been especially useful? Is it in ensuring that the scientific protocol is actually well aligned with clinical practice and clinical protocols? Is it understanding how the sort of the physiology or the pharmacokinetics are most likely to be viable for a given drug? Where, where are the specific areas you think that MDs have the most to offer, especially when we have all this new data?
2: The perspective from MDs are very important in multiple areas. When we design a clinical trial, the proper understanding and proper collaboration between MDs and statisticians is very important in terms of designing and conducting a clinical trial. MDs may think that study design has to be this way based on their understanding of the clinical aspects and the physiology and all those things. But at the same time, the bringing a statistical aspects in terms of not only the design as well as definition of our primary endpoint and all those things are important because you have to make sure uh, ultimately the trials that you design are feasible and it can achieve what we are hoping to achieve. Is it feasible to achieve that level of the drug effect? Uh, is it feasible to get that kind of data? It's a combination of both perspectives, you know, medical, clinical, as well as statistics. So bringing both of them in terms of clinical strategy, I think it is very important.
1: Yeah, I think one of the interesting issues that you brought up was the definition of clinical endpoints, because as you know, when you change the definition of a clinical endpoint, it in turn changes the measurements used to quantify that endpoint, which then holds the possibility of changing the results of the trial meant to measure differences in that clinical endpoint. And clinicians have an important perspective on this because they understand the metrics and the clinical outcomes that are most persuasive to their clinical colleagues. As statisticians, you know, we have the goal, we want to be experts on the metrics. But clinicians, on the other hand, have this ground-level insight into the clinical process that yields the measurement, the generative process that we try to quantify, And circulating back to the issue about multiple comparisons, clinicians also understand how clusters of correlated endpoints fit together to give more of a perspective on the sort of overall clinical narrative of a new therapeutic. It's something also that Martin Ho was discussing in a previous episode, where when you want to bring in the totality of evidence around a novel therapeutic or a novel device, that there's a large number of correlated endpoints or correlated metrics that you want to bring in so that you can incorporate all the information that's available. And it's very nice to have clinicians who, again, understand the data-generative process of these metrics because they can help further set expectations. Do you have any further comments on this issue of defining clinical endpoints and where clinicians are really helpful to come into the conversation?
2: Yeah, sure. I think you touched on a lot of different valid and key points here. You know, when I said the bringing both clinicians and statisticians together, it's very beneficial to statisticians as well. Like you're saying, clinicians may think about some endpoint which is clinically meaningful, but they don't know the statistics or data aspects of it. I think for a statistician, it is very important to understand the clinical meaningfulness so that we can really understand how we can achieve that. A lot of times, you know, you have to really figure out whether an endpoint is more of a dichotomous or binomial. Hard endpoints, or is it a more of a variability mean type of endpoint, or is it a time to event driven endpoint? So it is important to really understand those things. And the other aspects of that is it gives a chance for statisticians to really look at the literature when you know what we are trying to study, to go back to the literature and has it been done and do we have enough data to support this kind of trial design and endpoints.
1: And one of the other aspects that I found really interesting about this is, of course, the issues of Bayesian statistics. Now, obviously, uh, Bayesian statistics are not new. People have been talking about them for a long time. It has a great many converts, as you might have heard from the episode between myself, Martin Ho, and Greg Mazlin. Obviously, there's a lot to talk around, especially in the regulatory area where Bayesian statistics is coming in strong, particularly in the device field where a lot of those priors and the regularization around them and the more bespoke modeling that Bayesian methods allow can really come to fruition. There's a big Bayesian aspect to the symposium. Uh, Do you want to talk about that a bit?
3: So um, the new theme, one of the new theme for this year's symposium is to promote the industry academia collaboration. Just to follow up the discussion you and Gajana just had, you know, there is importance of connecting uh, clinicians with statistician, and we also felt there is importance to connect the uh, industry statistician with academic statisticians. So, given that in mind, I was thinking and also recognized that the Bayesian method is playing an increasingly important role in pharmaceutical development. So then I thought, okay, probably I can expand the you know the, the current press lecture that we hold every year at Riverside to a bigger scope. So, I discussed with Gajana about this idea. Then we decided, okay, to expand the press lecture, uh, which is one hour seminar at uh, Riverside uh, since 2006. Now we expand this to two hour uh, mini symposium that has involved one keynote speaker, Don Barry, from uh, academia and two invited speakers from the industry. So I thought we thought they represent a very good mix of the experts from both academia and industry in Beijing statistics and its uh, clinical applications. So we thought this will uh, provide a venue for advancing academia-industry interaction and crossing the new uh, frontier of uh, innovation. Gajana, okay, do you want to add something?
2: Yeah, sure. Glenn, this is another uh, session that is very interesting, and we are excited to have this. You know, there are a couple of things here. One is, this is, as uh, Shimping said, this is the press lecture that she, they conduct every year, and we are very happy to bring that into our symposium fold. And, you know, another important thing here is that this kind of goes along the theme that we are focusing in this symposium, the Bayesian aspect of the, you know, clinical trial or clinical development. Don Berry is a leading eminent Bayesian statistician. And he has contributed to a lot of clinical development by providing innovative Bayesian methods like Bayesian hierarchical model-based development. And that really helped at least a few drugs to really go into an expedited process in terms of the development and approval. So I think our goal is to bring not only Don as well as a few other speakers in that uh, session, and that gives a good connection to our focus to the day one with the keynote session as well as all the other afternoon session invited speakers talks.
1: So on the issue of Bayesianism in clinical trials, of course, it's no surprise, but very impressive to see that you have Don Barry is a speaker, you know, on this issue. You're bound to run into at least one of the berries, either Don Barry or Scott Barry. But what I thought was really fun was that this part of the symposium is in honor of the contributions of James Press. Now for those with a more cursory understanding of who James press was, um, obviously he's known for writing quite a bit on the aspects of objective versus subjective base. He was also one of the founders, I believe, of the International Society of Bayesian Analysis, the ISBA and the American Statistical Association's very own Bayesian Statistical Science section. Um, And I think he actually did both of those with Arnold Zellner, among the many things that he got up to with Arnold Zellner, among other very prominent people in helping form these societies, which are now very important. But could you give us a little bit of the context of why this part of the symposium is in honor of James Press and maybe a little bit more to the audience about who James Press is?
3: So yeah, Jim Press is uh, actually uh, our distinguished professor who is a renowned Bayesian statistician and uh, he is our second department chair. His major contribution was in the multivariate statistics and Bayesian statistics and he retired from Riverside in 2005 and then in honor of him, so we started this press lecture in 2006 and each year we invited one distinguished professor in Beijing statistics to give one hour seminar at UC Riverside. So this year we expanded to Bayesian Mini Symposium. Still we are in honor of him, but we try to promote this press lecture from just pure uh, academic exchange to an uh, industry uh, academia exchange.
1: Well, Swingping, one of the interesting things that I saw in the conference was the issue of causal inference and that you're actually very nicely bringing graduate students to talk about their work, helping raise up that next generation of statisticians in the clinical trials to talk about causal inference. What are the challenges and priorities in causal inference for drug development?
3: Well, I think uh, typically in drug development, uh, people are using randomized, you know, 2 hour randomized clinical trial and uh, in this work, the students are focused on the if the data are not obtained from the clinical trial data. So when a new medical treatment is developed, you know, typically researchers will, in, will be interested in testing how it is different from the placebo. So the default approach is a placebo-controlled randomized clinical trial. It randomly assign a sample of patients to either the new treatment or the placebo. Uh, so this is the standard way to estimate the efficacy of the treatment but there are a number of reasons why we may not be able to get this kind of the data so maybe it's unethical to give a placebo or you know order some uh, self-selection you know for, for example sometimes people self-select in some study enrollment so in any case we may have to turn to the observational data and uh, previous research to estimate the efficacy of a treatment. So this is raised the question of the, um, you know, the target population that we are interested in making the inference, but we only have the uh, study population. We are trying to uh, use that population to make the inference on the target population. So there is the, some kind of bias between these two populations. So here we use the causal inference framework and combined with the machine learning method to estimate the uh, efficacy of a new treatment.
1: And which aspects of statistical modeling and machine learning is this presenter going to be focusing on for the causal inference talk?
3: So even the standard approach to adjust for the population difference in causal inference is to uh, use parametric models. As I mentioned, so these models may be misspecified, uh, so the estimation might not be consistent. Then we decided to utilize the machine learning method by using the super learner that combined different machine learning methods to develop a more robust estimator for the uh, treatment efficacy.
1: So is the idea here that one of the main challenges in causal inference is that causal inference is very sensitive to model misspecification? So one of the values that machine learning methods can bring about is that it can allow you to propose a multitude of models and provide a principled and effective way to include a multitude of causal inference models that, by combining them, will be less sensitive to a single model's misspecification. So by having a multitude of models, misspecification or misparameterization of a single model is not as detrimental to your causal inference.
3: Yes. Yes. Also, I think machine learning method is more focused on the data to let data speak for itself.
1: Yeah, I think letting data speak for itself, well, letting anything speak for itself is always a good idea, but letting data speak for itself is especially important. I think that's why, for example, for this talk, a transition from parametric models to semi-parametric models is giving allowing models to be a bit more flexible with respect to what the data is saying. Yeah. Yes. For those interested in learning more and who are in the Orange County area or want to attend from afar, what should people know about the symposium? We know that it's in Orange County. I believe it's in uh, Irvine, California, March 13th to 14th. What are some of the main highlights that people can look forward to when attending the conference?
2: Yeah, Glenn, you're right. We are hoping to have a great symposium. It's on uh, two days, 13th and 14th of March in uh, Irvine. It's going to be held at Allergan, it's a pharmaceutical company, uh, their auditorium. On day one, we do have parallel sessions of talks, uh, one on, uh, mostly on clinical and statistics, and the other one is on data science, which is kind of, uh, again, related to a lot of these uh, topics that we talked about, more on uh, to provide some analytics perspective of all these applications and methodology. So this is a second of the symposiums that we'll be doing. Uh, last year's was a great success. And why you should attend this symposium. Uh, we really have a great mix of talks in uh, clinical and statistics on both days. You hear from leading experts in all these areas. And also we have many talks in the afternoon on day one. That gives an in-depth methodology and applications of uh, innovation in clinical research, along with some of the case studies that, you know, some of the experiences that uh, they want to share. And on second day, this is something new that we are doing this year, and Shimping gave a lot of uh, insights to it. We have a lot of sessions for both industry professionals as well as, you know, researchers, academic faculty, students to really see what's going on in the industry as well as uh, how to really do that transition from academic to industry and obviously statisticians statistical analysts and programmers data science professionals it will be very helpful for them also clinical research professionals and academic researchers uh, will benefit from this symposium so we are hoping to have a great symposium and hope to see you there
1: yeah, I think it'd be really great to maybe have a follow-up after the symposium to hear more about what was discussed. But until then, the 2020 Orange County Statistics Symposium, March 13th and 14th, in Irvine, California, to hear more about leveraging data to shape the future of clinical development. Kijanen and Ching Ping, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Glenn. Thank you.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of The Pod of Ascilius. We hope you enjoyed it and will tune in for our next episode. If you're watching from YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and leave a like. You can also follow us on our other social media channels, including LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great story or presentation that's ready for prime time? Or know someone who does? Drop Glenn an email because he'd be happy to hear from you. We would like to thank our sponsors from the American Statistical Association section on statistical learning and data science section on medical devices and diagnostics, and North Carolina chapter. The views expressed on the show are those of the speaker and not their employers, our sponsors, or anyone else not saying the words.